wanted to follow up on a conversation that we we had yesterday. We checked with uh, with uh, uh, Jess Murray. She's uh, with the Queer and Trans Group here in, in Edmonton. They happened to be in a space where they were already, for members of their community, checking certain street drugs to see if there were other toxic things within it. You know what I mean? Not looking to see if there's some carfentanil or if it's been cut with something else. It could be not just dangerous, but actually even potentially deadly. So they're, they're moving into that space. Part of that conversation was identifying the fact that the number of, uh, of, of, of deaths and, and the toxicity of, of some of these drugs on the street has risen by 5,000% over a 10-year period. There are so many people who are dying as a result of uh, drug addictions and an un unsafe drug supply out there. Now, keep in mind, the uh, the Alberta government has, has a strategy, and, and sometimes it, I think it's, it's entirely about um, perspective and, and even ideology, I would think. So another mandate letter from uh, Premier Daniel Smith this week uh, to the Minister of Mental Health and Addiction talking about the Alberta model, so helping with addiction recovery and talking about urgency and promptness in doing that, to, trying to save lives. You know, it makes sense that if you're trying to, to help people uh, get out of, a, out, of, out of a circle and a cycle of drug abuse that can be potentially dangerous, yeah, you want to support them with treatment, etc. But there's not an awful lot of conversation in there about harm reduction, about active roles in, in reducing the danger uh, that even though people are still using and you recognize they're still using, you want to make it safer. So at least they don't die until you can get them some real help. And then the other important part of this was something called the Compassionate Intervention Act. And we heard about this months ago. Remember, it, it first sort of leaked out that this was a possibility, uh, leaving, leaving an opening where some people could involuntarily uh, be given treatment, so put into treatment whether they like it or not. It would seem that that's a very rare case. Either way, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of elements to this. I want to dive through some of them with Ewan Thompson, who's a member of a group called Each and Every, and, and also of another group that, that advocates for harm reduction for, for people who have uh, drug problems. And Ewan's joining us this morning. Thanks, Ewan. Good to, good to have you here. How are you? I'm doing okay, Daryl. Thanks so much for having me on. I didn't say the specific other group because I wasn't sure how to pronounce it, but it's uh, AAWARE or A-A-W-E-A-R. What's what's the group called? Yeah, AWARE. It's, oh, AWARE, uh, okay. It's, it's effectively the provincial, um, province-wide main advocacy group for people who use drugs in Alberta. Yeah, I just saw it and I wasn't sure <laughs> how to say it, but AWARE totally makes some sense. Uh, <laughs> thank you for thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, I know that uh, like for you, this, this involuntary uh, treatment program is, is a bit of a red flag. Is that fair? Absolutely a red flag. Yeah, we we uh, we are getting into a situation here where we've already been forcing, you know, children and youth into forced abstinence and do involuntary care for, for many, many years in Alberta um, to, to some pretty uh, dire consequences. But now we're looking to expand this same framework uh, into the adult realm so that police have the power effectively to drag somebody off off the streets or, or wherever um, and deem them fit for uh for forced treatment uh, into one of these facilities. Um, really, the, the, the biggest problem with this is that we know that forced abstinence, when somebody's not ready, uh, can, can be a death sentence for, for many folks as it uh, increases 
the likelihood of those people experiencing an overdose or a drug poisoning after they get out. Uh, you know, help me help me understand this, because uh, as, as the government has indicated, and I guess the proof's in the pudding in how this actually would work, this would appear to be an extremely last resort, a last choice, uh, as it were, and that it would be used extremely rarely, but it's an option, I guess, in the worst case scenarios. That doesn't give you any confidence? Not at all. We already have that last resort in the Mental Health Act. It's already written into our code, and and even then, it's 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 overused in a lot of cases. Um, but this this here is is really just cutting out the middleman completely, um, and and opening up the possibility for really anybody with authority to to start to usher people into these facilities um, before they're ready, before they've even been offered housing in a lot of cases, before they've been offered food security and some of these things that would actually help uh, get these folks into a stable position. Um, and, And as we know in Alberta, you know, about half of our unhoused population is Indigenous. Um, meanwhile, the other half of, you know, the other the other large proportion of people that are forced into treatment are workers. So we're looking at construction workers right now, literally building their future prisons as they uh, as they raise the walls on these um, recovery communities in, in 11 places in Alberta right now. Uh, you know what it's been like in the last little while for any kind of a, a political or theological uh, discourse here in the province. You, you either agree on one side or you agree on the other. I'm trying to look at this. I'm not an addiction specialist, and certainly, but we've certainly heard from a number of them. Is there not a combination of things that could work? Uh, like I understand where your point of view with the Compassionate Intervention Act, as it's called. Totally get that. Uh, but it seems like it's either we need to do... Uh, treatment, or we need to do harm reduction. I haven't heard an awful lot from from a bunch of groups about combining the two of them. Both should be uh, be the answer, wouldn't you think? Absolutely, uh, you know, and that's what we talk about when we're when we're referring to a spectrum of care, right? As harm reduction is kind of at one end for people who are not ready for abstinence, and you've got treatment on the other end for people uh, who are and. Uh, you know, in between all that is is a is a gray area where you might slip in and out of abstinence. You uh, you might need supports here and there, and you might be you know trying to get stable, reconnecting with your family, getting housing, all these sorts of things that that can really help you in the long run. Um, but what we're seeing here, you know, in in Alberta, we already allocate more than ten times. Ten, you know, ten dollars uh, to treatment for every one dollar that goes to harm reduction, and and that number is is actually increasing that ratio. So, um, what what we're seeing in this mandate letter right now, from the premier to Minister Dan, Dan Williams, is effectively an erasure of harm reduction from mental health and addiction services entirely. They don't, they don't even mention it, um, which which gives me the shivers because uh, you know we, we are already seeing eroding resources for harm reduction. Um, are they looking to just you know, nix it completely from from the next budget is is my question. Yeah, and you and, and basically, it seems to be a singular ideology on that side, as opposed to recognizing that there can be a number of of potential solutions or treatments. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, you know it's going to cause a lot more problems than it solves. Uh, I think what the UCP government is moving towards here is a situation where the only people who deserve to live in this province, um, you know, who have substance use in their in their life, uh, are the folks who can achieve abstinence. They're, they're effectively saying that, that the folks who can't or the folks who don't want to or won't uh, don't deserve to live. And, and that's not really uh, an ethical way to run our healthcare system uh, or our, our social system um, more broadly.
Yeah, there are some people who would uh, who would say, "Oh, you're just you're 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 being over the top. You're just being emotional." It is an emotional issue. It is a worrisome issue. There are people who are genuinely scared about the potential impact of some of these decisions. Yeah, certainly, and, and it is emotional, and it is political. Absolutely, these are political decisions being made um, that really do impact people at the front lines. But you know, uh, I don't see that emotions are, are over the top when we're talking about likely two thousand people dying preventable deaths in Alberta this year. This is the leading cause of death for people of working age in this province, and uh, it's also a, it's also a treaty issue. You know, we're looking at a situation where First Nations people in this province are at seven times or greater higher risk of drug poisoning death than non-First Nations people. Um, This is absolutely a treaty issue we need to be addressing, you know, from a truth and reconciliation scope. We need to be listening uh, to the Indigenous communities who are calling right now in Treaty 6 when we look in, you know, in Edmonton's uh, vicinity for harm reduction services, for options like safe supply that can help keep their people alive while we sort out what's going on in the drug supply. Um, this drug supply toxicity is a very predictable outcome of, of policing and drug enforcement. You know, we, we have studies now, in fact, one out just recently, um, that shows that, that police enforcement, uh, you know, and drug busts actually cause a greater rate of overdoses and drug poisonings in the immediate vicinity um, in the weeks following. So, you know, people are dying on account of, of you know, uh, effectively enforcement meddling with the drug supply and rendering it more toxic. That's yeah. That's a big ethical question, yeah. It's a huge one. And, and you know, it's, so do you just let people just go ahead and continue to break the law? Or, you know, you know where that, that ends up going. Uh, just before I let you go, Ewan, what's the canary? Uh, as you're watching, as you're watching uh, sort of impacts, what are you looking for? What's the canary in the coal mine on this on this issue as you see some of these uh, changes in policy come into effect? Yeah, watch for EMS dispatches. Uh, EMS dispatches correlate very, very closely with mortalities. We don't get mortality data for months usually after after the fact, but um, EMS data are released every week, and uh, we can look at how those are trending. You you know if, if we're seeing a big bump in EMS dispatches for drug poisoning, it almost certainly means there's a big number for mortalities coming down the pike at us. So, so watch for that. That's the canary for me, um, and, uh, and and we're keeping a close eye on it week by week. Ewan Thompson, thanks for your time this morning. Good talking to you. Thank, thank you, Daryl.